0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Pittsburgh, Luke Rockhold versus David Branch. And man, it's good to have the consistency of back-to-back UFCs. And I know you just cashed the biggest bet of your career: seven units, 7.5 units on. Alex White and uh, he went out there and not just beat Mitch Clark he retired him I'm kind of disappointed Shaq because I kind of want to hit up Alex White and be like dude did you really have to whoop his ass that bad because I mean I wanted to fade him again next year and now we don't get that opportunity
1: yeah man uh, Alex White took care of business as we predicted Um, shout out to Mitch Clark you know he had a, a tough career fought some tough guys but you know I just felt that this was the perfect spot to load up on Alex White we knew that Mitch Clark Really didn't win any fights in the UFC. He's a tough guy, but we know that Alex is better at fifty-five and uh he went out there and took care of business.
0: Yes, he did. And I can't wait to see Alex get another good fight, get another win, you know. Hopefully they don't feed him to the wolves right away. Hopefully he gets a nice showcase here. And uh as far as the Valentina fight, you know, I, I did have a bet on Valentina. Thank God for Alex White because he covered me on the night. I will never sit here and cry about a controversial decision because, as we know, controversial decisions are part of the sport, and uh, you can't sit here and cry when you're on the wrong end of one. And I won't do that. You know, honestly, you can arguably score that fight three to two. Nunes, no matter what you feel, you'll never hear me cry about that. But let's talk about UFC Pittsburgh because I know we got some strong opinions on this card. And first up, Gilbert Durinho Burns. He's minus 130. The comeback on Jason Sago is plus 110. And uh, Shaq, I heard we got a play on the very first fight of the night. We're going to be sweating on UFC Fight Pass.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Gilbert Burns and Sago. Saggle. Sago's been in there with some tough guys as well as Burns. Sago, you know, he's a Hoyler, a Hoyler Gracie black belt. This guy, you know, went to split decision with Paul Felder in his debut and arguably knocked out Paul Felder at the end of that third round. So, And then, you know, he's been in there with guys like Leandro Silva beating him by split decision in his last fight against Rustam, who is arguably a top 15 guy. And, you know, he held his own. And, you know, he'd win the first or not win, but, you know, keep it close the first two, three minutes. And we know when Rustam goes, he goes. He makes it real exciting, real explosive when he when he's actually active. And, you know, Sago just couldn't keep up. But in this spot, I really like him due to the fact that Gilbert Burns, um, he's not very tough. When he has to face adversity, despite the Alex Cowboy win, which props to him he pulled off an armbar after getting completely smashed on for two rounds, you know, I think that might have been his swan song, man. Because in his fight against Rashid Magomedov, the second he realized he couldn't get Rashid down, you know, we saw what happened. And then, you know, his next fight against uh, Michelle Prezeris, we've never seen him getting taken down so easily. The guy is scared to get hit. I do think that he's more uh, athletic, than Sago. I don't want Sago going out there and trying to test whose jujitsu is better, because I'd have to think Gilbert's just slightly better on the math than him, but I think this is the fight where Sago gets to let his hands go. Gilbert Burns does not like getting hit. When he gets hit, even in the Saezki fight, Sayeski was actually touching him up in the early, early uh, early in the first round, but you know, Gilbert pulled off some Brazilian weasel shit. He nut-punted him, and it changed the complete aspect of the fight. I mean, if you actually rewatch it, the second Sajewski got nut punted, maybe about 30 seconds later, he got rocked and, you know, armbarred. And that's the type of, that's the type of stuff, you know, Gilbert's on. I, I just think Gilbert Burns, he's what you like to call a front runner. You know, when he's having his way, it's good. But then when he's not having his way, he'll shell up. And the guy just does not like war. And Sago can hold his own against Rustam Kabilov. And I just really think this is the spot where Sago can let his hands go. His hands actually aren't that bad, and he can kick really hard. He's got some really good kicks. I think he's got more volume on his kicks, more volume, period, than Gilbert. Gilbert's going to be looking to be on the defensive any, in any type of stand-up exchange. He just doesn't like getting hit. And uh, hopefully, Sago doesn't go out here looking to uh, engage in a jiu match. But, you know, I did put 2.5 uh, units, 2.5 to win 350 at plus 140 on the opener. I just really like Sago at dog money, man. Um, Gilbert Burns, you know, I think he's also uh, missing uh, the old days of the UFC, the the pre-USADA days, man. I mean, if you look at his physique from the Rashid Magomedo fight to the, his physique in the Prezeros fight, I mean, it's a complete drastic difference. And just knowing this guy, when he gets hit, he shows up. And, you know, I, I'm not a... I actually like the shell, the shell tactic in some ways, you know, with guys like Overeem, for example, because the shell has protected Overeem and extended his career a little bit. But in his case, man, it's just when he shows up, he, he just, he's not active. And you know, I would assume that, you know, he's looking to probably take Sago down and beat him in the mat, but Sago can stuff takedowns as well. You know, I know he got taken down by Salas, but Salas, who is a D1 wrestler, but what happened when he took, got taken took down? He reversed him, and he, you know, pounded him out. And uh, I just think he's going to win the war here. I feel like Gilbert might have some success early, but when the realness of the fight settles in, and when they start really exchanging punches, I think this is the fight where Saga's going to have his best performance on the feet, and I think he's going to win a 29-28 on two cards and a
0: 30-27. When Sago got taken down by Justin Salas, he didn't just sweep him. He umaplata swept him. I mean, that was... That was beautiful. Now, I know you mentioned how Gilbert Doreenho might not be the toughest. I'm not sure if that's the case. I just think that he's got the worst striking defense I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the dude blocks punches with his face. No parrying, no head movement, no nothing. I mean, it's just hit me in the face as much as you can.
1: Yeah, and... You know, his coaches constantly tell him, commit, Gilbert, commit, Gilbert. He doesn't want to commit to anything because he's so scared of the counter. He's so scared. He has to brace himself for every return. So I just, I like Sago, and uh, I think he's going to get it done.
0: Yeah, I mean, Gilbert Burns has the worst striking defense I've ever seen in my life. He's got an unbelievable black belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, you saw that fight uh, with Alex Cowboy. He was getting... Off on and then third round, jiu jitsu saved his life. Look, jiu jitsu saves lives. That being said, that win over Cowboy was just as much of a fluke as Mitch Clark beating Ally Akinta, as Sarah beating GSP, as Brenneman beating Story. It was just a fluke. They fight 10 times. Alex Cowboy's winning nine of those. Now, obviously, they don't fight ten times. They fight once. So you got to make it count that one time. But look, that was Alex Cowboy's UFC debut on short notice because, you know, he was replacing Josh Thompson, who was supposed to fight Gil that night. But we'll, we'll give him a pass for that. Congrats to Gilbert. That was the best performance of his UFC career. I mean, we say best performance, and he was getting smashed on for two and a half rounds. But the bottom line here is that, you know, Jason Sago, he's not athletic. It's It doesn't look pretty when he fights. But he's a tough, little, gritty Canadian, man. And you see that UFC debut. It actually wasn't against uh, Felder. It was against Shockley. But he went out there and smashed him. But anyways, you see a second UFC appearance against Paul Felder. It's a back-and-forth fight for the first two rounds. End of the third round, it looked like Sago might have knocked Felder out with a knee there, man. I mean, that was uh, that's why it was a split decision. And also in his losses against uh, Rustam Habilov. And what was the other one? Felder, oh, in in his real loss against Rustam Habilov. Look, man, he just isn't on Habilov's level. That's all there is to it. And it was close for a while, but once Rustam decided, I'm going to turn it up, the way that Rustam turned it up was so beautiful, like he'd just start putting together the combinations, then he'd get a suplex in there, and Gilbert Burns isn't about to do all that. The thing I'm worried about here is, You know, if Gilbert somehow lays on us for three straight rounds, which I really don't think is going to happen, I think we're going to pick him apart. I think this is going to be the fight where Jason Sago lets his hands go, lets his kicks go, and people are like, Jason Sago's stand-up got way better. And it's not necessarily that it got way better. It's just that this is an opponent he can feel comfortable letting it go against because Gilbert Burns, like we said, he blocks punches with his face. And, uh, you know, he's one of those, I don't want to say a fake tough guy, but he's one of those guys that you hit him three times and he's like, come on, hit me, motherfucker. <laughs> you know? He really doesn't
1: want to get hit. And, it, you know, Sagal kind uh, I of, I was telling you early. he kind of reminds me of like a Caraway. You know, like when you watch tape on Caraway and he's got these matchups against Wineland or Sterling or, sunset you think on the feet he's gonna get completely smashed on you think that he's gonna get completely picked apart but when they actually get in there it's a completely different case because these guys are so funky and awkward that they just tend to make things a lot closer like you, if we watch Buscape and sago on tape you would think Buscape would completely smash him on the uh, smash him on the feet that's why we bet on Buscape and that totally wasn't the case sago had more volume landed the harder kicks and uh, I think he's gonna do this again
0: I I'm with you. So I also put two point five units on Jason Sago on that plus one forty. Currently it's plus one ten. I still think there's value because anytime Gilbert Burns fights, I'm gonna fade. I mean the dude look, great jujitsu, he should probably be teaching jujitsu classes. He should go compete at, you know, Abu Dhabi Eddie Bravo, you know, do your thing, man. But in the UFC, when there's punches and kicks involved, I will be taking your opponent. And I think that uh, Gilbert is going to be a walking punching bag, which he is known for. And Jason's going to go out there and take advantage. And also you mentioned how... You know, Gilbert's been uh, suffering a little bit physique-wise since the new testing. And this isn't just, you know, some exaggeration. This isn't something we talk about to laugh and be be cute. This is the truth. You watch his fight with Rashid, and I was making jokes back then, you know, however long of that fight was. Like, you know, this dude's burning the floor when he takes a piss, you know what I'm saying? And then you watch his fight with uh, Brazeris and... He looks flat and he's getting taken down by Preseras like easy, easy. Like Prezeris looks like a world-class striker against them, you know what I mean? And there's going to be that fight where everyone's like, "Wow, Jason Sago got so much better." And it's and that even that isn't even going to be the case. It's just that he's fighting Gilbert Burns. So, I put 2.5 units on Sago at +140. Now, this one I'm very excited about. You know, I, I love it anytime Felipe Cerdinejo Aranches fights. And we got Luke Sanders, he's -220, the comeback on Felipe Aranches is +180.
1: Yeah, this is a good fight. Um, Luke Sanders, before he came into the UFC, I thought he was uh, a very hot prospect. You know, I watched his fight against Tyrion Ware and that RFA versus Legacy card. And, you know, he put on a complete domination. I mean, he completely schooled uh, Tyrion Ware. And Tyrion Ware is a tough guy. And, you know, his debut, I picked him to be Maximo Blanco up away class at 145. And, you know, he went out there, Uh, got into a little trouble with that arm triangle in the first round, but came back and knocked him out. Oh, did he did he finish him with the sub? Yeah, he finished him with the sub. I think. Yeah. But uh, and you know, I I still think you know his last fight. You know, he was whipping up on Yuri, and he he had a panic situation. These things happen. Like Conor McGregor said, when Conor got leg lock, it was a panic situation. He was learning his craft. He was he was figuring it out. And you know, after a fight like that, where you're beating up on a top fifteen guy at the time, and you're completely dominating, and you tap like that. To a leg lock, you know, I think that you go back to the gym and what do you work on? You work on leg lock defense religiously. And I think that he has worked on that. Now, granted, Felipe Sertanazzo is really good. His takedown defense is complete garbage. The guy has like a 40% takedown defense, which is really sad because his jiu is really good and his stand up's really good as well. And I actually think the best chance for him to win this fight is on the feet because I feel like he's more cleaner on the feet than Luke Sanders. Luke Sanders is more of that MMA lab style, you know, take a few punches. Not not saying that he's a workman because he actually can box, but I just think that searching and is a little bit cleaner. But my thing with Search and is the guy just finds himself in bad position after bad position. He's the type of guy that you know he'll have full mount and he'll get reversed from full mount, and it, it has happened more than once. It happened more than once against Feely, and it happened against Goito who had a torn a torn knee and. got his knee torn early in that fight and you know he'll have uh goito perez fully back mounted and go for a kimura with two minutes left in the round and lose the round that's the type of that's the type of stuff felipe is on you know what i'm saying his fight iq is not very good and you know the jared sanders fight he comes out he gets taken down gets laid on for about seven minutes and props to him for pulling that armbar it's i feel like he's uh not reached his potential and i think his potential has run out um i think sanders is going to win this fight i think it's going to be really hairy though because i think felipe is very good he's a very good fighter i just think that his mental lapses in the fight iq level will cost him this fight again which it has in the past and you know if he i think he's gonna purposely try to roll on leg blocks and give up that give up that top position to sanders and i think sanders is uh gonna get out of it this time because I'm sure at the MMA lab, they went back, corrected those mistakes, and I'm sure he's practiced getting out of leg locks 100 million times.
0: So I got to ask you, man, I mean, is it a matter of correcting his technique, or was it a panic situation, like you said, because it's one or the other?
1: Yeah, I mean, like we said, everyone has to take their first L in this game, and Sanders had to take his L. He's probably never been in that position, and when it happened, he just completely freaked out, and we've seen some of the greats in this sport completely freak out, so... I think that was his first L. I think Felipe, like I said, his fight IQ is lacking. I feel like he's going to purposely pull guard and try to go for these things and not get them. And I think Luke's going to win.
0: Oh, yeah. I'll talk about Felipe and his dumb IQ (laughs) in a second. But uh, I wouldn't just dismiss that Luke Sanders loss as just his first L. Yes, it was his first L. That's That's a fact. But that was very alarming, man. I mean, that knee bar wasn't even deep. I mean, as soon as Yuri even rolled, Luke was already tapping. That shit wasn't locked in at all. So... If that situation occurs again, why isn't he going to tap out? Because he's been drilling with the lab knot? I mean, come on. This guy's a pro fighter. He's been drilling this shit for years. It was a panic situation like you initially said. I don't think it was his lack of defense because he didn't even try to defend it. He quit as soon as... It was like Sarah McMahon. As soon as any adversity presented itself... You know what I'm saying? That's all it was, man. I wouldn't say that because in the Blanco fight, you know, he slipped into an
1: arm triangle and he stayed calm and got it. I just think that... It was a panic situation. He freaked out. And you remember when Jim Miller uh, leglocked Charles Oliveira back in the day and Charles just tapped real quick. I just think it was one of those things, and he never been in that spot before. And, you know, saying that, you know, he's been in that position millions of times, but in the actual cage, I just feel like that was the main focus for this fight because they know Felipe is going to try to roll on things like that, and I just feel like that was the main focus for this
0: Look, I, to sit here and say I know for a fact wouldn't be true because I don't know for a fact, but I'm going to guess for a fact that as soon as he gets in a near submission, he will tap again. Just like Conor McGregor did at the early part of his career, blamed it on a panic situation, and then you know, in his championship run when he fought Nate Diaz and he got into a bad position, he tapped again. These things don't change, man. Just like, remember when Frankie Edgar was in that deep knee bar against Tyson Griffin in his UFC debut? And you can sit here and tell me, oh, but he, he, was, he had never been in one of those in a real fight. You're probably right. Well, he didn't tap because he's not a fucking quitter. He's tough as fuck. Whereas Luke Sanders and Conor McGregor, they're unbelievable. And they got something in common. They got a death touch in their left hand. I mean, we got to talk about Luke Sanders' left hand here in a second. But I guarantee you, he gets into any kind of adversity and he will quit again. That's why I can never bet on someone like Luke Sanders. Now, in this fight with Felipe Aranches... The deal with Arantes is that he's super talented, but he's not the smartest. I mean, he'll be whooping on someone's ass for three straight minutes, and then he'll throw a lazy kick, it'll get caught, and he'll be on his back for the last two minutes of the round, lose that round. Now, in the Goyito fight, the, you know, he was whooping on Goyito, then his kick gets caught, he gets taken down, then immediately he's, He's attacking for a deep heel hook. It was deep, man. And Goito, you know, you know the tough Mexican Warriors aren't going to tap out, man. They're going to fight through it. And that's what Goito did. I mean, that's why his leg got fucked up as a result. The leg kicks plus that early heel hook attempt. I guarantee you, he gets Luke Sanders in that heel hook attempt. Luke Sanders is going to tap before that shit's even locked in. So this comes down to, you know, on the feet, that left hand of Luke Sanders. I mean, you know, people like to act like he's some wrestler. Dude, let's talk about that left hand. I mean, he hurts. Everyone he touches with that left hand. His UFC debut against Maximo Blanco, he sent him flying against Yuri. One does not simply drop or hurt Yuri Alcantara, and he hurt Yuri Alcantara with that left hand. At the same time, look, Yuri's one of my favorite fighters, but I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys and act like he's not 40 years old. You know what I mean? When you're 40 years old at bantamweight, it's only a matter of time, whereas Felipe Sordanejo, he's got to be, what, 28, 29? He's just a kid. He's getting better every single time. So it's just about... You know, I know he's going to do some dumb shit in this fight, and I know that Luke is going to lay on him for a little bit, but I think at some point, certain Asia is going to get a submission, whether it's a heel hook, whether it's a knee bar, maybe even a triangle, an arm bar, whatever. But on the feet, I think it can be close too. However, we know based on certain Asia's weaknesses that if you're, if you're going to fight this guy, you want to take him down and try to stall out the fight. I mean, that's the way to beat this guy. I think somewhere along the way, he's going to catch Luke Sanders and Luke is going to quick tap. I know it just happened last time, so people think, oh, you know, first loss is not going to happen again. That wasn't a matter of first loss, in my opinion. That was a matter of you put this guy in any kind of adversity, like we noticed with Sarah McMahon or even Connor, who I love. It is what it is. Just like Frankie Edgar will never, ever tap if you get him in something, Luke Sanders will tap. I got Felipe Cerdinejo inside the distance. Now, next up... Christoph Jocko, he's minus 220. The comeback on Uriah Hall is plus 180. Now, we've been wanting to see this fight for a very long time. You know, they were initially supposed to fight back in Europe a couple years back, and uh, Uriah Hall pulled out the fight, which he is known for. He pulls out a lot. Is that even true? <laughs> <I'm talking about. laughs> Uriah Hall pulled out the fight, and then Christoph came out with his Instagram post, and he put a, a milk carton, and it said, uh, Have you seen this, man? It's a picture of Uriah Hall. Now they get to settle their differences, man. Are you excited?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I'm going to pass on the fight in terms of betting perspective, even though the minus 220 is a good line. But uh, it's just, you know, I don't like these fights where, you know, a guy has his back against the wall, even though I think Uriah Hall's a straight quitter. I mean, the guy had his eyes open when he was getting pounded out by uh, Musashi. It was kind of like a Diego Brandao-McGregor situation where the guy really wasn't out. He just wanted wanted his way out. And, you know, Jocko dropped the ball his last fight against Branch. Uh, It was a very winnable fight, you know. He was just off, and you have these type of off nights when you're fighting, you know, guys at that top level. Branch is a two-weight world champion in a different promotion. Uh, You know, I'm not out of the Kristoff business. I'm just staying away from the chalk, you know. Hall's got his back up against the wall. Uh, He could land something flashy. I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, the guys that beat Hall are more aggressive than Kristoff. Kristoff's a sit-back type of guy. And, you know, he's a point fighter. He likes to keep his back on the fence. He likes to circle off. And, you know, that is the hole in his game, keeping his back off the fence. And, you know, the guys that typically beat Hall come at him and just knock him straight out or, you know, take him down and pound him out. And Christoph actually showed he could take down uh, people against Talos Latus, who's a black belt. But I'm just going to stay away. It's a safe thing to do. If you parlay Jocko, I think you will win. But it's just my personal preference, I'm going to stay away. Um... When a guy's back against is against the wall, sometimes they pull off crazy shit and we've seen Hall with his back against the wall before and he and he's uh come out and looked good before. So uh I'm gonna stay away, but the the pick is definitely uh Kristoff.
0: I got Jocko as well. You know, I know his last fight didn't go his way, but that was a completely different matchup and You know, fair play to Dave Branch for having the perfect game plan to beat Kristoff Jocko. I mean, we know Jocko's got unbelievable footwork. He's moving all over the place. So the way to shut him down is not to get into a striking match with him and let him get off on that fork. Is to push him up against the fence, slow him down, take him down, grind him out. And that's what Branch did. Now, Uriah Hall ain't about to do that. You know, Uriah Hall wants to stand and bang, allegedly. You know, everyone tries to act like... Like, all these guys just want to take down Uriah Hall. No one wants to stand with him. Well, what about when Whitaker whooped his ass for three straight rounds on the feet? You know what I mean? And what about when John Howard split decision this guy by leg-kicking him? Okay, it wasn't like John Howard was laying on him like John Howard out-leg-kicked him, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and mixed-in takedowns. This is an MMA fight, in case you forgot. So I, I think that Jocko here, listen, we got to be careful because even though we like to make fun of Uriah Hall and this and that, he's still a very dangerous dude and he still spinning kicked uh Musashi and knocked him out. I know Musashi got the rematch and that goes back to the, well, if they fought 10 times, you know, shit. And that just happened to be one of those situations where they happened to get a rematch. So you got to see what would really happen if they fought more than once. But, uh, here it all comes down to this one time, one night. And, uh, I do think that Jocko is going to go out there, outpoint him, win this decision. You know, not do anything flashy on the feet, but, you know, mixing the jab, the kick to the body, then pin him up against the fence. I think he can actually take elements of the branch fight. You know, what branch did to him, I think he can go out there and do that to Uriah Hall. But that being said, I also think he can stand and bang with Uriah Hall. But that gives Uriah more of a chance to win. And knowing that Jocko is a smart fighter, you know, he's going to probably look to take the fight where he feels like. He can run away with it, and I do think that'll be in the clinch, on the mat, as you saw in the Talos Latest fight. I mean, he didn't just stuff takedowns from Talos. He took down Talos Latest. That shows you, this dude gives no fucks, and if he can hang out in Talos latest guard, he can hang out in Uriah Hall's guard. So, I know Uriah Hall's back is up against the wall, you know, the the Whitaker fight, the the Brunson fight, the Musashi fight, but you know what? Jocko's back is up against the wall, too, because we were touting him as one of the great prospects at the middleweight division, he went out there, lost you know for people that don't really know what they're watching he lost a very boring decision man even for people that know what they're watching it was pretty boring right but uh in this spot man i think he gets back on track i think he wins a decision just just don't get caught christophe you know what i mean and hopefully he wins a split decision so we get to see him uh breakdance again because uh he's a very talented breakdancer now next up olivier aubin mercier oam he's minus 120 the comeback on tony martin is plus 100 this is gonna be good man
1: yeah, you know, the winner of this fight, I mean, is going to have a little breakthrough performance. I mean, the winner of this fight is going to fight a top 15 guy. He's going to move himself up the ranks, and it's a really good fight. You know, Tony Martin, he had a tough stretch early in the UFC against three of the best dudes at 155, Rashid Magomedov, in which he won the first round against, Benil Darius, in which he won the first round against, and the Leo Santos fight. Which he, Which he won the first round against. And, you know, in those fights, he completely blew himself out in the first round. He, you know, shot his load and he gassed out and, you know, he, he folded and he got tapped out in those fights or not the Rashid fight, but you know what I'm saying? He, it was due to inexperience, experience, uh, mismanagement of cardio, you know what I'm saying? And, Alban Mercier, early in his career, you know, he was just primarily a guy that takes guys down, uses judo, uses jiu-jitsu to sub guys or lay on guys like the Tony Sims fight. But in his last fight, I mean, man, the improvements that I saw in the stand-up, I mean, it was like complete night and day because in his previous fights, the guy, you know, is scared to exchange, looking to wrestle at any time he can, which props to him take the safe route. But offensively, I know it was against Dober, and Dober's a 500 fighter. Dober's a solid guy. The improvements, just offensively, I was just, like, blown away with it, and Tony Martin as well, you know, in the Case fight, he went through adversity. In the past, you know, he might have folded to that, and, you know, he got jabbed up in that first round and came back in the next two and just completely landed the bigger shots and, you know, broke Johnny Case, and Case tried to stick it too, but Tony was just too much. And I think both of these guys are coming into their own. And I'm going to pick uh, Tony Martin in this fight. You know, I'm not going to bet on it just because the improvements that Obama-Mercier were just alarming, in my opinion. I just think from for a guy that never, never in his career I have I ever seen him pop a guy's head back with a jab, circle off, land the straight left, and, you know, just his timing, his flow was just a complete night and day change. And, you know, Tony's always shown that he's had the potential to, you know, be a good striker, be a good all-around fighter, in which he is. And, you know, I just think I'm going to sit back, enjoy this one. May the better man win. I heard you got a bet on this fight. But uh, if the line, you know, got back up, maybe I'd consider a shot on Tony Martin. But this fight's just too close to call, in my opinion. Both guys are improving at good rates. Uh, The pick is Tony Martin, but uh, I could see Aubon Mercier taking this one. I mean, whoever wins is is props to them, man. Uh, It's a tough fight,
0: though. I'm really looking forward to this one a lot. Like you mentioned, both guys made big improvements their last fights. Aubin Mercier, he put on a lot of size, that fight against Dober. I mean, you compare him to the Dober fight, compared to his Chad free fight, it's like a completely different guy. And I'm surprised he can make that weight cut to 55. The dude is absolutely massive. And, you know, he tries to do his little, you know, tri-star game. And it's not... When we talk about popping back heads with jabs, I mean, it's not like Gagar Musashi, or Rory, or even Vic. I mean, it's just a. Uh, it's one shot at a time, but that one shot was effective. He landed it against Dober, you know, credit where credit's due. But I still see so many openings against Aubin Mercia. He's not really that comfortable with a stand-up. He's super vulnerable. As you saw, I mean, Dober went out there and dropped him, but Dober, you know, we know the deal. I'm not going to disrespect Dober, but we know the deal here. Tony Martin's a way, way more of a step up than, than Dober is, and Tony Martin's not going to drop him and then be on top and get swept and give up his back. Like, that shit's just not going to happen here, but... What's interesting is that Tony Martin got fed to the Wolves right off the bat in his UFC career. I mean, he's fighting Benny, <laughs> Rashid, Leo. You know, these are top 15 guys. These are guys that are unbelievable fighters. And, you know, if Tony went out there and got finished in the first round, all those three fights, I still wouldn't hold it against him. But the fact of the matter is, he went out there and actually won the first rounds against all those guys. But then it came down to, you know, he just simply wasn't ready. And,. If you watch his UFC debut against Rashid, then you watch his latest fight against Johnny Case, it's not even the same guy. You know, people like to criticize his cardio. Well, his last three fights all hit the third round. He won all three of them, you know what I mean? One of them, he tapped his opponent out in the third round. The next two, he won unanimous decisions. So, this whole cardio myth is a myth. That's what it is to me, you know? It was just a matter of he came into the UFC, he wasn't ready yet, but now he is ready. Because, look... We're comparing a one and three fighter. That's what he was, you know, to start his career off one and three in the UFC. Now he's four and three. I mean, it's a completely different guy. Even his physique looks different. He looks a lot leaner now. But now he's a comfortable guy inside the octagon. You know, before, he, like you said, he'd blow out his load in the first round. But what I loved about the case fight was that that was the first time that we saw Tony kind of just chill in the first round, kind of let the fight happen, feel it out, and find his timing. And once he finds it. And once he found it, oh my God, when he let that right hand rip on Case, and people like to discredit Case because he barely ever fights and this and that, but the reality here is Case wins a lot of fights. Case isn't a guy that you just go out there and outstrike. You know, if you beat Case, you know, you grind him up against the fence, you take him down, you lose two rounds and then choke him out in the third like Jake Matthews did, right? No one's ever dominated Johnny Case since way back in the day when Rick Glenn fought him, which was a million years ago. So first four minutes of the first round, you know, Johnny Case, getting off on jabs but once tony martin found his range and he hit that one big right hand that changed the the path of the entire fight and i guarantee you if he lands that right hand on aubin Mercier, he's gonna put him down i mean aubin Mercier is a guy that got taken down by jake lindsey dropped by drew dober and i know there's more examples too i can't think of them off the top of my head but i know tebal gaudy gave him a little bit of trouble you know what i mean all these jobbers are giving this guy trouble now we got a legit 55er fiver is massive for the weight class who's confident as ever putting it all together and I think that this is a bad matchup for Aubin Mercier. Aubin likes to you know he likes to do his little jab bullshit and I and, and I'm not one to disrespect the jab it's one of the best weapons in combat sports but when I when I sit here and talk about Aubin Mercier's jab it's like, you know, he closes his eyes, but he's so big, and he throws it, and it and it hit Drew Dober nicely. I I don't think he's going to have that much success with that here, man. I think that Tony Martin's the kind of guy that can move his head off the center line. He can touch and go. He can parry. He can slip and rip. He can do what it takes to win this fight. So the clinch exchanges are going to be interesting. Obviously, I don't want Tony Martin to get taken down because Aubin Mercy is a big dude. He's very strong. He's a Canadian weasel. He knows how to backpack. He knows how to do all that shit, but... I think that if Tony stays composed, stays focused and disciplined out there, not only do I think he can win the decision, I actually think he can go out there and knock out Aubin Mercy. I know he's never knocked anyone out, not just in the UFC, but in his career. But we'd also never seen him land a right hand like that until the case fight. Now that he's feeling comfortable with his stand-up, and you mentioned how Aubin Mercy is feeling comfortable too, I agree. However, it's just a different level, man. Because Aubin Mercy, like we said, it's one shot at a time, whereas Tony was putting his combinations together. He was mixing in the left high kick. I want to emphasize that straight right because it was absolutely beautiful I'm gonna go ahead and say that Tony Martin actually goes out there and finishes Aubin Mercier so I put 2.5 units on Tony Martin straight at plus 135 It's currently plus 100 I still think there's value obviously I like it better at the line I took it at plus 135 because When I lined the fight in my head I was like yeah they're probably gonna do minus 130 Aubin Mercier Minus 110 Tony Martin you know I pick them with a slight lean on Mercier No problem But then they gave us plus 135 Tony Martin, and uh, I took advantage. 2.5 units. Let's get it. Now next up, Justin Ledet is minus 390, and the newcomer, Azuna Anianu, is plus 320.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a fairly easy fight for Ledet. Solid boxer, good jujitsu. Most of his wins are actually by sub. I think he comes in here, pops his guy's head back. Drops him with a straight right, takes his back, finishes him off. Uh, I'm sure Azuna's a tough guy, but I think Ledette's, uh a future top 15er.
0: I like this kid Ledette a lot. You know, it's funny, on my fight pass, you follow certain fighters. He's one of the guys I follow. I love the fact that he pops dude's heads back with the jab. He he only weighs like 230, 240 pounds. You know, he's a smaller heavyweight, but he's got kind of like a DS style about him. You know, he'll pop you with a jab, then he'll put his hands up. be like, what's up, motherfucker? and you know you can hit him up with leg kicks throughout the duration of a three round fight like Chase Sherman did. and the dude doesn't give a shit that was an altitude his cardio's on point then you watch the Mark Godbier fight he's taking his back and choking him out too well, that's no slouch and the thing with this new guy azuna is that if you watched his fight with greg Ribello on Dana White's that contender you probably don't even remember because it was that bad of a fight it was like literally the worst fight in the entire contender series. And uh, this guy lucked out that Justin Ledette's opponent got injured because his original opponent, that would have been a real fight. I mean, that was a a Russian warrior. But now we got this guy, Azuna, and much respect. You're in the UFC. You'd whoop my ass. But I think that Ledette is going to be popping that head back with a jab and might knock him out, might choke him out, might even win a decision. Whatever he wants to do, I think he's got this. He is coming off a little, you know, tainted supplement, whether that was tainted or not. You know, he said his multivitamins were tainted. I mean, what kind of multivitamins have steroids in them? Anyways, that's a talk for another time. As long as Justin looks the same and, you know, everything's on point, I think he's about to do bad things to Azuna. So I got Justin Ledette as well. Now this one. Wow, look at the line on this. Kamaro Usman is minus 700 in the comeback on Serginho Sergio Morais is plus 500 now before we talk about this breakdown Sergio Morais is six and one in the UFC and he's plus 500 here
1: yeah you know it's not every day where you're gonna get a plus 500 next to Serginho's name it's a tough fight for both guys because you know as we've said before every UFC fighter has to take that first L in the UFC and this could be that spot and this could be that what we like to call that what-the-fuck loss where you're not expecting it. And I see no value in Kamaru at all. I mean, why would you ever play a minus 700? You want to lay down that much money and parlay it with something else? I mean, I just don't like the odds against you. And, you know, Sergino, he swings a big overhand right. And I'm not saying I think he's going to win the fight, but I think he can cause trouble for Kamaru. I mean, we've seen this guy, you know, sub Magni off his back, knock out Omari Ahmed Um, the guy's just experience, and Kamaru's experience as well. Kamaru mm-hmm. is the pick to win the fight, but I'd be very, very careful playing this because we've seen crazier things happen. We just saw Cajun Johnson knock out Adriano Martins last week. I mean, these things these things happen, and against a 6-1 guy in the UFC who wins fights, I'd be very careful. And, you know, if you wanted to bet Serginio... You just got you, know, you got to know what you're getting yourself into. You know, you need you need Kamaru to have a very off night. You need Kamaru to really feel the overhand right, fall into a submission. So I don't see – I'm not touching either guy. If I if I were to play anything, it would be Sergino, even though I don't think he's going to win. But uh, Kamaru, I got Kamaru by actually a 29-28 decision.
0: Which round is he going to lose?
1: I'm going to say the first.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I like this fight a lot, man. I'm a fan of both guys. With Kamara, you know, it's interesting because I've actually been trying to fade him. I thought he was kind of stiff on the feet, but you know what, man? He's been making such improvements, and his pressure is ridiculous. I mean, the last two fights especially against Worley Alves and Sean Strickland, I mean, the guy's turned a corner, and he breaks guys. I mean, he can take a hell of a punch, and he can push a hell of a pace. That's why he wins the fights. With Serginho Morais, I mean, seeing a guy that's 6-1 on the UFC at plus 500 is kind of interesting because with Kamara. Yeah, he should win the fight. You know, he's got the advantages in terms of the pace, the cardio. And he's just a younger, fresher guy. But everyone's got to take that first UFC L. And, uh, you know, people that are parlaying a minus 700, you know, these jobbers, they, they don't understand why they shouldn't be parlaying minus 700s. You know, we're not here to give you a lesson on why you should or shouldn't. But just know we will never be parlaying minus seven hundreds. And I'm rooting for Sergio, man. I want to see him go out there and get this win. I mean, that would be a massive, massive victory, massive upset, plus 500. That would be cool. You know, what I think is going to happen is Kamara is going to get the better of him with the pressure, win a decision, and, uh, you know, you know, just like you did against Strickland, just like he did against Worley, whoop that ass uh, for three straight rounds, but I'd love to see Serginho land a big overhand right, clip the back of the ear, you know, get a mounted triangle, do some crazy Serginho shit, because when Serginho wins fights, he's got one of the best uh, post-fight dances in, uh, in UFC history, so I'm rooting for Serginho, but, you know, I, I guess I got to pick the minus 700 to win a decision, but... Obviously, I'm passing from a bet. Let's go, Serginho. Now, this one. See, this is the one I think should be minus 700. I think that this guy should get Kamaru's line, and Kamaru should get this guy's line because we got Gregor Gillespie's minus 430. The comeback on Jason Gonzalez is plus 345. Now, it's interesting because when all the chalk opened up, you know, people were jumping all over the minus 700 Kamaru. They were jumping all over, you know, the minus 460 Luke Rockold, but they weren't jumping all over the minus 410. Gregor Gillespie, which it was yesterday. Now a little bit of action came in. It is minus four thirty, but most of the action, Shaq, on this fight has been on Jason Gonzalez.
1: Yeah, you know, <clears throat> obviously the pick is Gregor. I think Gregor is arguably one of the top prospects at one fifty five. Um, but I want no part of it, man. I, I I just don't like these big favorites. You know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna touch a big favorite like that, you know, it's got to be something like James Crawford's Tom Galicchio, for example. You know, where a fight where Galicchio has no striking Tough at first all. Got me. You know, something like that, like where a guy just doesn't belong. You know, Galicchio has no striking. He's slow. Just I just knew, we all knew that Carlos was just gonna pop his head back and clearly beat the guy. Now I think Gregor's gonna do the same as well. But it's past my limit, man. I need I need minus three eighty three three something. And you know I clearly don't have that. And you know he's fighting a six two guy. And you know they list Gregor at five nine, but I'll tell you right now, Gregor ain't five nine. The guy's like five six five seven and you know he's fighting a six two guy yeah exactly he's fighting a six two guy a southpaw who's long and you know i just don't want no part of these type of fights man um like we said about kamaru gregor at some point will have to take that first oh i don't think it's going to be here but cajun johnson just knocked out adrian adriano martins last week so i mean we've seen crazier things happen and uh gregor's had one of the sickest takedown drives I've ever seen I mean he's got one of the best single leg takedowns I've ever seen the way he can clasp his hands like in that uh Glaco Franca fight I mean the guy was clasping his hands like the second they hit the fence and you know I think he's gonna uh beat a lot of dudes at 155 whether he wins this fight or not man um I'm assuming Gonzalez is gonna be trying to time a flying knee up the middle as Glaco did in in their fight uh, I just don't think it's gonna be enough I think they're gonna clinch up and Gregor's just gonna ragdoll for three rounds
0: Man, Gregor is one of the best-kept secrets in the UFC lightweight division. I mean, this is a guy that wrestled in the finals against Jordan Burroughs. One doesn't simply wrestle in the finals against Jordan Burroughs. I mean, the guy won the national title, Division One national title as a freshman. So, that just shows you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there is to say. And let's talk about his hands, too, because, I mean, his last two fights, he's been rocking the fuck out of his opponents. I mean, that jab against uh, Franza, he hit Franza with a jab. And Franza's also, you know, a six foot one guy. Like Level change. Back up. <laughs> and, dude, that jab. I mean, it looked like Franza's legs rolled back after his ankles rolled after that. I was yeah. like, God damn. And then he obviously goes out there and knocks out Holbrook in 30 seconds. That was a max bet play right there. But against Franzo, man, you know I love the fact that you know he had to overcome a little bit of adversity because you know a lot of people are saying shit like, oh, you know, Gregor's striking defense led a lot to be desired. That that's what the jobbers think. What I think is he got rocked with a knee and two seconds later he's on top. That to me is the sign of a future world champion to overcome adversity like that. It's not like he got hit with a big knee and then he ran away for thirty seconds and regained his wits and all this shit. No, no, no. Two seconds later, after getting rocked with that knee, he's on top, dominating the fight. I mean, what else is there to say, man?
1: I mean, yeah, man. That wrestling drive. You know, I love that wrestling drive. I wish the line was a little bit lower. I wish it was minus 3-5. Then we could put it in an open parlay. But, you know, minus 430 is too steep. Gregor is probably just going to ragdoll him. Like we said, four-time All-American,
0: two-time national champion. <laughs> People sleep on this guy's hands too. I mean that one setup he had against Glaco where he faked the body, then he went up top, I His was like down. I was like, damn, son.
1: I mean it's in the what round was it? The first round, if you go back, watch it, he throws the one two, fake fake with the level change, back up, throws another jab, then back down and Gregor was just like, Whoa, what the fuck?
0: Gleko.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, Glaco.
0: Dude, his drive, like you mentioned, his entries, his uh just everything about how he mixes his striking to his takedowns. Cause with a lot of these guys that come in with great wrestling backgrounds, the the question always is, well, you know, why can't they translate that wrestling to MMA? And with a guy like Gregor, not only can he translate it to MMA, he can strike too and he can mix his striking to his takedowns, which is such a big deal. I know Henry Cejudo, this is a good example because now he's finally putting it together. But let's talk about a couple fights ago where you know he couldn't take down a guy like Chico Camus. You'd think a gold medalist Olympian would take down Chico Camas, but the issue was he couldn't put everything together. Gregor Gillespie is a guy that can put everything together. If he wants to take down Jason Gonzalez, he will take down Jason Gonzalez. Now, I got to talk a little bit about Jason because I've only been talking about Gregor look Jason's six foot two he's massive for the weight class he can pull off some nasty subs which tall men are known for doing you know it's not like it's not like our boy or nothing like that but still man I mean he's still got a nice little darts choke in the UFC and if Gregor shoots a very lazy takedown with his head exposed you know he could get trapped too he still is human but the thing is when you're a guy that wrestled in the finals with uh Jordan Burroughs you're not going to set up lazy takedowns you're not going to just leave your head exposed and I I just think that uh Who's the guy that took down, uh, Jason Gonzalez in in the UFC? Was it Drew Dober? I know Drew knocked him out, but he also got taken down really easily in the UFC. And I believe it might've been Drew Dober. Cottrell took him down as well. I mean, look, man, (laughs) these jobbers are taking him down and knocking him out. Now we got a dude that's not a jobber. I'm not sure if it's going to be a three round domination or a first round finish, but bottom line, Gregor, the gift Gillespie is about to shine and, uh. I hope that he lays on him so that people shit on him and are like, oh, this is the guy everyone's hyped about so we can get a good line on him next time. But most likely, he's gonna absolutely dominate. And hopefully people still think it's boring, man, because I wanna keep betting this guy. Now, here we go. The Coco. We got Anthony Smith, he's minus 110, and Hector Lombard is also minus 110. Now, before you start talking about this fight, I just wanna point out Anthony Smith is 6'5", and Hector Lombard is 5'9". Okay,
1: and... How many times has Anthony Smith been knocked out? Over seven. All right, then When's the last time Hector won a fight?
0: Hector doesn't win fights. <laughs> All
1: right, exactly. So, man, I want no part of this fight. Um, you know, if I were to pick a guy, I'm, I'm going to pick Smith just due to the height advantage in that Hector. I mean, when's the last time he won a fight? Um,
0: Bergman and that got overturned.
1: Exactly. So we know, we know the deal with Hector. Actually, you know, I don't think Hector looked too bad against Hendricks. I thought that fight was actually a lot closer than the scorecard dread. Um so I, I I guess he may he improved a step. I mean, Johnny, we know the deal with Johnny. I mean, that guy's completely done as well. Um, Smith, I mean, like we said, the guy's been knocked out more than seven times. I can't forget about that fight against Leko Rice where he won the first two rounds and then completely quit the third round. Luckily he survived. And then, you know, I think it's more of a case that he fought a complete jobber in Mutapchik and then, you know, he fought Andrew Sanchez who also has somewhat of a shit chin, and you know, he capitalized on that, props to him, he stalked him down that third round, and hunted him down, and finished him off, and you know, as far as his fight goes, I I feel like if Hector can land early, he's gonna knock him out, but if he doesn't knock him out, we know what Hector will do, he'll stand right there, not move, look at you, although he did not do that in his last fight, he actually maintained the pace for three rounds his last fight. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Smith, just because Hector doesn't win UFC fights, but I could I, I could see Hector coming out and just starching him real quick. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Smith is gonna get rocked, survive, come back in the second, and not knock him out, but actually win a decision, win the next two rounds.
0: This is a tough one, man, because if both dudes were in their prime, Hector would absolutely destroy him, and it would it wouldn't even be a fight; it would be very very quick. I mean, when Hector was in his prime, this is one of the scariest dudes at 170. You saw. And 185, too. You saw uh, him judo throw Jake Shields? Like, no one judo throws Jake Shields. And also, his knockout against Rusimar Palhares. I mean, when this guy was in his prime, man, he was one of the scariest dudes at 170 and 85. And uh, that run in Bellator, I mean, dude, he was he was the man back in his day. But as you know, father time is a real thing. He's about 40 years old now. He can't take uh, the, the juice anymore. You know, USADA's a bitch. Now we're taking on Anthony Smith, who's six foot five and that height. On its own, I mean, that's already crazy to deal with. Now, you mentioned the fact that Anthony Smith has been knocked out seven times. However, he's won 11 of his last 12. That being said, if we're going to mention that he's won 11 of his last 12, we got to mention how, you know, he almost quit against Laleco in the third round, and that was really ugly. And then also the Cesar Mutanchi fight, you know, when you're getting taken down by that guy for three straight rounds, is not the best look. So the real question here is how far gone is Hector Lombard? I mean, can Hector Lombard hold on for three straight rounds against this six-foot-five animal, grind on him? Or is there going to be a point in this fight where where he expends everything and then he gets head kicked knocked out, man? I mean, it's tough to call in my opinion, That's bro.
1: That's how I see it happening. You know, I see him rocking Smith early and just completely emptying out his gas tank. You know, the Hendricks fight was a little different because, we you know, Hendricks is trying to wrestle and, you know, Lombard's, you know, conserving energy. This fight is going to present the opportunity for Hector just to shoot his load. Smith's chin is going to be so there, and he's going to go after it, and I don't think he's going to get it, and I think he's going to gas out and lose the, uh, the next two rounds, in a complete war, by the way.
0: It's a really tough one for me to call, just because I don't know how much Anthony Smith has progressed, and I don't know how much Hector Lombard has declined. I know that if both guys are at 100% in their primes, Hector Lombard KOs him stiff, but He's not in his prime. He's older now, and you know shit changes in the sport. I'm going to lean towards Anthony Smith, but I'm not as high as him as all these other guys, man. I mean, I think that these other guys are too caught up in the fact that he's 6'5", rather than his actual skill set and the fact that the dude's chinny as fuck. The dude's been knocked out a million times. I mean, he just ain't that good. You know what I'm saying? But Hector Lombard's declined so much that it's tough to pick him either. I'm going to go with Smith, but uh, very reluctantly and obviously no bet. Now the co-main event of the evening. There's no line yet, but we assume that Mike Perry will be a wide favorite, and we got Mike Perry. He's taking on Alex Reyes. Now, Alex Reyes, just for those that don't know, he's you know usually a lightweight. He's on a 13-fight win streak. He trains out of Timo Yama. We know those kids out of Timo are doing big things, and the fact that he took this fight on fight week. What's up? He trains out yeah. of oh, Yeah, and the fact that he took this fight on fight week, shows the kind of balls that this kid had, not just to take, you know, your USC debut, but to fight platinum Mike Perry, who's one of the heaviest hitters at 170. So much respect to Alex Reyes. What do you think about the fight?
1: Yeah, you know, Perry shouldn't knock this lightweight out. Um, I'm sure Reyes is a uh, tough guy, but uh, it's just too much, man, fighting Mike Perry three days, uh, three days notice. As far as Mike Perry goes, you know, I watched the tape on him, you know in prep- in preparation for the Alves fight and as a guy that likes point fighters man I when I think about certain different matchups like Tiago or let's say Zaleski for example or uh do a, a, uh, <laughs> a Tim Means for example just just better guys at 170 man I just see a lot of holes we're talking about a guy that Put so much weight on his front foot, his left hand's down, his chin's up in the air. As a, lo- as a guy that likes point fighters, I just see him, as he moves up in competition, I see him getting picked off. And, you know, the, the people that were betting Perry against Alves, you know, I actually think Tiago was going to win that fight. But Tiago didn't show up. He Brazilian weaseled his way out of the fight. And, uh, but in the future, I am definitely looking to fade Perry.
0: <laughs> he blamed it on a travel issue. <laughs> so him and Jocko were on the exact same exactly. flight. And Jocko ain't pulling out. Exactly. Well, Hopefully not,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I think Tiago was probably going to miss weight. You know, the the delayed fight probably, you know, messed up his weight cut. But when Mike Perry wins this fight and has his uh, next fight and gets a better opponent, just be ready for that uh, MMA genius fade because when you when you get jabbed up by Jake Ellenberger in round one and Jake looks the best he's ever looked for about three, four minutes of that fight, I mean, I just see so many openings for point fighters. Like, maybe I'm just being – I'm a—I'm a—I'm a big Zaleski fan. I was just picturing that matchup, and I just see Zaleski absolutely –
0: Zaleski's a brawler, <laughs> not a point fighter. <laughs>
1: but he, he'll point fight for that. He'll point fight brawl. He'll stand with him in the pocket and beat him. He'll leg kick him and beat him. And Mike Perry can't take him down, and we can take him down. I mean, we saw Zaleski suplex Keitaro, but I'm getting too greedy. That's not the case here. But in the future, I'm looking to fade Perry, but he'll he'll knock this guy out. I mean, the guy has some of the best power at 170, but uh, I'd be very careful in the future.
0: Well, it's too bad you guys didn't get to hear the debate between Shaq and I because I was actually going to go Perry to beat Tiago Alves. He had Tiago Alves. We were looking forward to having a good old-fashioned spirited debate, but unfortunately (laughs) we can't do that right now. And uh, Mike Perry is taking on Alex Reyes. Look, much respect to Alex Reyes. I love all the Timo Yama guys there. Not just uh, in the octagon. They all perform. I mean, you saw Humberto nine in his UFC debut. You see my dude Chito Vera turn his career around. All these fighters, they're doing unbelievable things. Joe Soto, you know, he starts 0-3 in the UFC. Now he's 3-3, right? So these guys are really turning their careers around. And they got a really good program over there. So I would not fade a Timo Yama fighter anytime soon. That being said, in this spot, Mike Perry, man, you know, you mentioned how there were all these openings. And you're 100% correct. There were all those openings. That being said. When Mike Perry touches you one time, you feel it, man. I mean, he can hit you on the shoulder, and you'll get rocked. You know what I mean? He has that kind of power. That's why he's able to get away with fighting with his hands down and his chin up. Now, don't get me wrong. Eventually, this is the UFC. Eventually, he will pay for that. No no one uh, gets away with that shit in the UFC forever, at least. You know what I mean? He will for a while, but look at these fights he's had, man, against Hyun Yu Lim. He makes his UFC debut against that guy, Hyung Hyun Lim's a guy that's Knocks pretty much everyone out that he fights until he steps up to the very, very top. Mike Perry went out there and starched him quick. Dropped him three times in the first round. You saw the Danny Hot Chocolate fight. Danny Hot Chocolate is not a guy that... You know, know, if you beat Danny Hot Chocolate, you win a very close decision, right? You know, like the Dominique Steele fight, that was close, could have gone either way. But to go out there, not just knock out Danny Hot Chocolate in the third round. He knocked him out at the end of the first round. He knocked him out at the end of the second round. And then finally, Mark Goddard had the grace to stop that fight, which, you know, Mark Goddard's one of the worst refs in the history of the sport of MMA. Finally, he stopped that fight. You know, it was in the UK. Danny Chocolate's from the UK. Of course, they weren't going to stop it in the first and second. But if you rewatch that fight, just rewatch the end, just rewatch the last minute of every round because Mike Perry went out there and knocked this guy out at the end of, (laughs) at the last minute of every round. And then you see the Juban fight, and hey, he had to take his first L. He got picked apart by a southpaw, long point fighter, very nice performance by Juban. He took his first L. Then he comes back there against Jake Ellenberg. Now, you mentioned how he was getting jabbed up in the first round. Eh, you know, let's not exaggerate too much. You know, he ate, he ate two jabs, okay. And he got taken out one time when his kick got caught. But, th- but then what happened? The most vicious KO I have ever seen in my life. Now, look, I've been watching fights for years. I've been going to live fights for years. There's only been three brutal KOs that I've ever seen live in person where I was legit scared of the person's life. Let me tell you what those were. Anthony Hamilton versus Damian Grabowski. You were there with me in Atlanta. You know, the the local fight with that kid. Let's not talk about that. And Mike Perry versus Jake Ellenberger. When well, Mike Perry knocked out Jake Ellenberger, so, you know, I had a bet on Perry. So at first he knocks him out. You know, I'm high fiving with my friends. Yay, we just cash, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, five minutes go by and it's time for Bruce Buffer to announce Mike Perry the winner. And Jake Ellenberger's still out cold, hasn't moved a muscle. I mean, I was kind of like, yo is this dude alive, and it got scary, man, I was kind of like, I was like sad, like, you know, it it was like, fuck, like, why were we celebrating that we just cashed that bet, man, this dude's about to die, and then, uh, thank God, he woke up, you know, when he wiggled his foot, the whole place went crazy, you know, to give him support, because we don't want to see that kind of shit, man, we, you know, this is competition, as soon as the fight's over, win or lose, you take your W or your your L like a man and move on, so seeing Jake on the canvas out for seven straight minutes was a very scary thing and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that's the kind of power that Mike Perry possesses if Alex Reyes fucks around and you know he tries to get into a brawl for his ego wants to stand a bang wants to test the stand up hey I'm in the UFC now look mom I made it it could be very very devastating it could be detrimental it could shorten his career I don't want to see that I hope uh I hope it's just a, a clean one punch knockout and the kid's fine he wakes up he's good to go the only reason why I'm talking like that is because that's the kind of power Mike Perry has. He has scary, fuck you, knockout power. You know what I mean, man? It's not just, uh, who's a hard hitter? Like, McGregor's a hard hitter, right? Perry has way more knockout power than McGregor. I don't give a fuck what anybody says about that. That's the truth because, it's funny, should I quote Jeremy Stevens? When I knock people out, they don't fucking move, right? <laughs> that's the deal with Mike Perry. When he knocks people out, they don't fucking move. So, uh... I wish Alex Ray is the best, man. Much respect for stepping up on short notice. And, you know, the line hasn't come out at the time that we're recording this, but it's going to be like minus seven for Perry. Nice little showcase. Could it be the letdown spot? I highly doubt it, but you never know. You never know. When you're getting up to fight Thiago Alves, a guy you've been watching, you know, probably even before your career, a guy you've been watching since you were a fan of the sport, you know, you, you have the best training camp of your life. You're going to fight this legend. You're going to build your name off two legends in a row because he just beat Jake Ellenberger. You know, when I say legend, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he he beat uh, Jake Shields and Diego Sanchez. You know what I'm saying. He's been in the UFC over 10 fights. Bottom line here is that Perry was getting up for that Tiago Alves fight. Now, thank God it's only three days away, so he can't have, you know, he can't get out of shape or anything, right? I mean, unless he eats a lot. But look, he's going he's gonna to be a professional. He's going to show up. He's going to knock out Alex Reyes. And much respect to Reyes for stepping up. Main event of the evening. We got Luke Rockhold. He's minus 460. The comeback on David Branch is plus 365. Now, before we break down the matchup, we've got to talk about the important thing here. Neither guy has a nickname.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's interesting.
1: And uh, you know, as far as the fight goes, man, shout out to Dave Branch. He actually beat Jocko. He ruined my parlay. He frustrated Kristoff, made Kristoff put his hands up, made Kristoff beg the ref to separate him. And, I mean, that's impressive in his own right. And, you know, Luke Rockhold coming off a devastating KO loss to Bisping. And we've always said, you know, about Luke that when he when he actually boxes, he gets way too ahead of himself. He overextends himself. And, you know, when he gets clipped on the chin, he has that. Remember in Gray Manage Prime, even when he was on his run, when he get hit on the chin, he'd freeze up. His body It freeze up. And, you know, you could just see in the future that when he started fighting the Frankie Eggers of the world or the – Nate Diaz is the TJ Grants, that he'd get knocked out flush. And, uh, you know, that's what happened to Luca uh, in his fight against Bisping. You know, I also accredit it to that. I don't think he took Bisping seriously. You know, before that fight, he was saying it was Bisping's destiny to be my little bitch. And he took the fight on He turn. let the <laughs> audience
0: know that he had a torn MCL yeah. on fight week. He's like,
1: even with one leg, I'm going to whoop your exactly. ass. I don't think he, I think he underestimated Bisping, which is sad on his part. Um, you know, And, you know, he paid the price. He got knocked the fuck out. And shout out to Bisping. That's why he's the champion. Um, I do think... Still to uh, this day, he's the champion. I still think, you know, Luke's the better fighter. And, you know, we saw what happened in the first fight when Luke took it seriously. I mean, he subbed him with one arm. Um, Dave Branch, solid guy. Beat Kristoff. Beat everyone in the World Series of Fighting. Uh, I just think Luke's going to be too much. I think Branch is going to hold his own in this fight. But I just think the more the longer and longer that left kick lands that left kick makes men turn into boys I mean we saw what that left kick did to Wyman we saw what that left kick I mean that left kick did to Casa Philip, who in Duluth in Atlanta made, made him take a knee
0: um it was like a baseball bat. And
1: you know Branch is a Hensel Gracie black belt and for those betting Branch you know I'm sure you guys are thinking well we're a Hensel Gracie black belt and we, we can hold it hold our own on the mat, and I think you can, but we're talking about a guy that we've seen Luke do some of the most impressive shit on the mat. I mean, the Tim Bosch fight. I mean, who who does shit like that? Like, we've never seen him do shit like that. We're talking about a guy who fully mounted and pounded out another Henzo Gracie black belt and Chris Weidman. And, I mean, that fight really wasn't that close. I mean, the first round was close. Weidman won the first round, but from the second round on, I mean, Luke was in control, and I just think Luke's a better fighter. I'm not saying that Branch isn't on his level or anything. I just think Luke, unless Luke, that knockout really changed his life, I just think betting Branch, you would just need a a, a knockout punch. I don't see him clinching Luke up, holding him in the fence. I don't see him taking him down. I don't. I think he has to knock Luke out cold, and I just don't think it's going to happen. I think Henry Hoof is going to tell Luke, please come out here with your hands up unless he wants to – Underestimate Branch again, which I, I think he's learned from it. I just think he's going to be too much. I'm going to say third round TKO, but I think Branch will be back.
0: It's an interesting fight because you know Luke Rockhold wins the belt, then he goes all Hollywood, and then it's like I can fight I can fight, fight Bisping with my hands down. Bisping's a UFC fighter for over you know. With over twenty fights, and you know he's gonna go out there fighting like that, and he got what he deserved. You know, you call a guy a pillow fist, and then you fight him with his hands down. We'll see what kind of pillow fist he really has. I mean, is it pillow fist or is it glass chin? You know, that's what I'm wondering here. And after that fight, you know, he took a year off. He pulled out of the Jokare fight. I, I don't know where this guy's heads at, but let's talk about him when he's on his game. When he's on his game, I mean, that fucking left kick to the body. Oh my god! And it's not just to the body; it's to the head as well. The way he's able to set up that left, that left kick, it's because of his distance. You know, with most guys, you think about the jab, you think about the cross, setting up your kicks like that. The feints with Luke, it's not even like that because he he's got no hands whatsoever. Actually, if you wanna if you wanna be real about it, it's just that his distance on his kick is ridiculous, and the impact of that kick is ridiculous. Now with Dave Branch, I know people are gonna be like, oh, you saw that fight with Lewis Taylor, you know, he, <laughs> he looked like shit. It's, it's like, yeah, but. When you're fighting Lewis Taylor and you think like, dude, I can train once a week and beat this guy. Whereas with Luke Rockhold, it's the fight of your life, main event, UFC. I mean, this is what he's been waiting for his entire career. He's 21 and 3. The guy doesn't lose fights. And I know because I heard his interview, he said, I'm a big game hunter. And for people that don't know what that means, what that means is that he's a guy that rises to the occasion and shows up when it matters most. Here's where it matters most. So I know in the Jocko fight. You know, it's like, oh, he just hugged Jocko for three rounds. And it's like, yes, this is true. But let's think about that for a second. Jocko is a guy with unbelievable footwork. So when you're fighting a guy like Jocko, what, are you going to stand and bang with him? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of course you're going to pin him up against the fence. You want to stop that footwork. You want to slow him down. You want to take him down. With Luke, it's going to be a different game plan because with Luke, you don't push Luke up against the fence because Luke, you don't want to tie up with Luke. With Luke, you want to throw hands because he keeps his hands down. He's always been vulnerable in the boxing. Even in that Machida fight, I know he absolutely smashed Machida and ended his career, but still, the little moments that Machida had success were in the boxing exchanges. It's just that, you know, Machida was already broken. He was already so hurt that, you know, it was kind of a joke to Luke, whereas here... I'm not entirely sure this is going to be a joke, man. I mean, David Branch is serious, man. It's just that he doesn't get the respect he deserves for little things, such as, you know, he beat Vinny Magalhães, but he didn't finish him. You know, fucking Anthony Peroche finished this guy in 16 seconds. You couldn't knock out Chinny Vinny, but at the same time, that big game hunter mentality is a real thing. The fact that he shows up when it matters most. This is when it matters most. So, I mean, and and you know, if you've been listening to the show, I hate saying which version of the guy's going to show up because it really discredits the opponent, but which version of Luke is going to show up, man? Is it going to be the guy that, you know, I'm fighting Dave Branch, he couldn't even finish Chinny Vinny? I'm going to put my hands down against this guy like I did against Bisbee. Or is he going to come out here taking it seriously like he's hungry, like he wants to get back to that belt? I really don't. I have no idea, man. I really do not know. So it's hard for me to call. They they both show up at 100%, I'm thinking Rockle, but the boxing exchanges are a big thing in my mind. I do think that David can crack that chain, Can man. I ask
1: you this? When has Branch, the knockouts that he did have, the Yushin Okami one, we you know Yushin fucking blows now, but other than that, I mean... This is a guy who's struggling to let his hands go, even in the World Series of Fighting. I know it's against Lewis Taylor and Mike Lesh and uh, what's that guy's name, Teddy Holder. And look, Gianni you're son. right,
0: <laughs> but it's about rising in the occasion. For example, Caitlin Vieira, You know, she she went to a split with Kelly with Kelly know was You want a pizza about that? Yeah. <laughs> Let's look it up. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> sure hold, hold up. It.
1: Okay. What the fuck?
0: You want me pizza? Son. <laughs> but anyways. Are you about to look it up on another source? (laughs) But anyways, you look at someone like Caitlin Beer. She goes to a split decision with Kelly Fashel. She goes to a decision with Ashley Evans-Smith. So she's going to a decision with all these shitty fighters. What's going to happen when the big fight comes up against Sarah McMahon, the former Olympian, former number one contender, you know? It's like, well, she can't even, you know, win on all three judges' scorecards against Kelly Fashel. How's she going to do that against Sarah McMahon? But the thing is, every fight's different. It's about rising to the occasion. So, I'm curious if Branch can rise to the occasion here. the only reason we're talking about this long is because it's minus four sixty rockle. you know I'm not you know I'm not about to play no minus four sixty so if anything, I'd play the plus three six five on Branch and find out, but since I already have Tony Martin and Jason Sago, I'm just gonna chill out and enjoy the main event. but it would be cool to see uh David Branch pull off that upset and so the areas where I think Branch could have success are the boxing exchanges now, the areas that Luke can have success. The kicking distance, those kicking exchanges, oh my god, you cringe when you hear the sound of that body shot. We were here in Atlanta when Luke fought Costa Filippo, and it was like uh, taking a baseball bat and hitting that guy in the rib, and then he kicked him one more time for good measure, which was fucking awesome. So, hands, branch, kicks, rockled. Now, let's talk about the grappling exchanges. So, we got a Henzo Gracie black belt versus a Legitsu, or whatever the fuck he calls it. But, dude, I mean, that fucking Legitsu is legit as fuck. I mean, pound out Chris Weidman, pound out Machida. I'm like, god damn man, this guy's got a fucking serious his top control is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life, man. When he, when Luke Rockle gets yeah, on top of you, like I wanted to throw in the towel for Machida. I threw in the towel at my TV during that fight. You know what I'm saying, man? So if if Rockle gets on top, it could be game set and match. So it just depends what facet what areas of the fight this this match takes place in, and may the best man win. That's all I gotta say. And joining us now. Is the best MMA DraftKings player on planet Earth? The former two times DraftKings qualifier, the original tout Master, the half the battle correspondent. I'm talking about Kyle Marley. Kyle, what's up, man? Not much, man. I'm ready to talk about some fights and hopefully win some money. Uh, you're not ready for me to add on to that intro? <laughs> Keep going, man. Keep going. <laughs> you, know, you know what's so awesome about having you on the show, besides the fact that, you know, you are the best MMA DraftKings player on planet Earth is that so look, I've been giving out sharp plays for a long time. Shaq's been giving out sharp plays for a long time. For the most part, we're pretty fucking sharp on the show. But there are those times when I am wrong and Kyle Marley is on the other side. And you are right, and last weekend was a prime example of that. You said, not just did you pick Amanda Nunes to win the fight, you said she can also win the decision, and she won a split decision, my man, there you go.
2: That's right, yep, she did it.
0: Uh, She proved she's a champion, can go five rounds. I would still like to see a third fight, I think they're the best too, but uh, yeah, she's a champion, I like her. Yeah, I'd like to see a third fight as well, and you know, thank God for Alex White because he covered everything that night. But now we got to get down to UFC Pittsburgh, man. And I got to ask you right off the bat: Anthony Smith is fighting Hector Lombard. Is six foot five versus five foot nine. Both these guys knock a lot of their opponents out. I have a feeling this one isn't going the distance. Which side are you riding on this one? Uh, my early thought is Lombard,
2: uh, but that height and reach does worry me. Uh, I'm thinking Lombard can get it to the ground, though, maybe even knock him out, you know, get him against the cage, knock him out because he's got so much power. But I don't know, man. I'm kind of going back and forth on this one. So I think what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to stay away from this fight in cash, but then on my GPP lineups, I'll probably make maybe two with Lombard and two with Smith. So I'll just have the same lineup and I'll switch them in and out since so they're the same price at 8100 But I don't think I'm going to touch this in cash because it could be over in the first round. I don't want the loser who's only got one round in the book. So, GPP
0: only for me. There's a lot of chalk on this card. So, that being said, I know that you're bound to pick some underdogs. And, I mean, you look at a fight like Luke Rockhold versus David Branch, even Kamara Usman versus Serginho Moraes, maybe Gregor Gillespie versus Jason Gonzalez. Are you taking any of those underdogs? I mean, it's hard to take those three underdogs. I definitely like
2: all three favorites to win.
0: Um, I think I would
2: lean, if I was going to take one of the three, I think I would have Gonzalez as my punt option because he is the cheapest on DraftKings and he does not have the worst betting odds of those three. So if he wins, I mean, he's got a lot of height on Gillespie, so he could pull out a decision just by keeping him away and point fighting. You never know, I guess, but I'm probably staying away from these three. My favorite of the three would be Gonzalez, though.
0: Yeah, I personally think uh, Gregor is about to put on a clinic, but I had to ask you because I know that it's so much chalk that you got to play it smart, man. I mean, last week, Caitlin Vieira, that was a very sharp underdog play if you put that on your DraftKings lineup. Now, I got to ask you about these because there's some pickems as well. I love this card, man. Tony Martin versus Olivier, Aubin Mercier, and Jason Sago versus Gilbert Burns. Now, for me personally, I took both the dogs, not just in my DraftKings, but in my betting. And uh, I got to know what the master thinks about those two from a DraftKings perspective.
2: Yeah, like you were saying, this is real chalky. It's hard to find dogs that you like. So I was eyeing those two as well. Uh, I think the one I prefer, though, is Martin because he's 7,800 on DraftKings. OAM is 8,400, and the betting line is pretty darn close. And I can see Tony Martin pulling out this win. Um, Problem is, I can see it being a 29-28 decision where he's only doing a lot of the work in two rounds. So you can only add up two rounds worth of points doing that. Um, however, I do find myself clicking his name a lot because, like you said, you got to find underdogs somewhere. Uh, so I have zero problem with either one of those. However, I'm picking Burns over Sago. So I think I'll probably have some Burns and Martin lineups together just because they're mid-range. Uh, and like you said, man, you got to find
0: some dogs somewhere, and I don't like those lowest ones. Now, I have a feeling that you're passing on this fight, but I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, Kyle. Christoph Jocko versus Uriah Hall. Now, the reason I think that you might be passing is because, look, I'm a fan of Christoph Jocko, but the reality here is that most of his fights do go to decision. With Uriah Hall, I mean, he, he tends to stare at his opponents a lot, but the reason that I think you might have something on this is because when Uriah Hall wins a fight, it's a devastating knockout, but you just can't count on that to happen every time. So what are you thinking here? Yeah, yeah, you're probably right,
2: and I'm most likely staying away from it. But, I don't know, man, I could, I could see me picking Hall in a few lineups just because he's so cheap. Uh, on DraftKings, Jotko is 8900 and Hall is $7,300. So, uh, I mean, we've got to find some of these dogs, and so far, I only like Martin. I feel like I'm going to have to put Hall in a couple lineups just to squeeze in more favorites. But then the more I think about it is, I mean, if Jotko's going to win this fight, he's going to have to get it to the ground. And that's what you like in DraftKings, people who get it to the ground. But I don't know if Hall has a whole lot from him down there, uh, but I do think it's a scary world for Jocko Cannon against him. So, so the more I think about it, if, he, if he's going to win, he's going to have to get a lot of DraftKings points all the way with those takedowns and advances. So I don't know exactly what I'm doing this fight yet, but I do like those three favorites at the top more than I like Jotko, so I can see myself going Hall and squeezing those guys in more than I'm going with Jotko.
0: You know it's a fight that I think is going to be a really high score, even though I'm having trouble picking a side on? That's Luke Sanders versus Felipe Aranches, because I really feel like these two are going to have a serious fight, man. I mean, these guys, they're, they're going to swing, someone's going to get dropped, someone might get tapped out. I just have a feeling that's going to be a high point scorer. The issue is, you take the loser of that fight, you might not score as high. Are you leaning a certain way? Are you playing both guys? What do you think about that matchup? i uh, see me
2: going both ways on this. Uh, I feel like Sanders' fights are always really good to Target because he puts on a hell of a pace. So a lot of points are scored in his fights. Uh, in his first fight, he had 116 points in the first round sub. And then in his last fight, it only went two rounds. He lost. He, he still scored 52 points. So that's pretty freaking impressive. Um, but then on the other side of also so uh, I've liked uh, Orante for, for a long time now. I usually do pick him. Uh, I just think he's going to lose this fight, <clears throat> so I would rather have Saunders in this, but like I said earlier, I'd, I'd rather have those top three favorites on the card, so if you're finding dogs somewhere, I don't hate the Arontes play, uh, I just don't really see him winning this fight. If he does, though, it's probably a submission, um, and like you said, it could be early, so I think it would be more of a GPP play than it would be a cash play. But, man, Vander fights are pretty wild, though. it's probably a good one to target.
0: So it's funny because Shaq and I didn't even break this fight down because, you know, we we don't really talk about Anthony Hamilton fights around here. But it (laughs) is a heavyweight fight. Someone could get knocked out. And, I mean, you saw Anthony Hamilton's last three fights. He goes in there with Grabowski. He knocks him out in 14 seconds. His next fight, he gets tapped out in under 30 seconds by Nganu. His next fight, he gets knocked out by the newcomer, Marcelo Fortuna. So, I mean... Anthony Hamilton's fights don't go the distance. This guy, Daniel Spitz, he's about 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", maybe. He's massive for the weight class, but he's got serious tall man defense with the striking. Uh, It's going to be an ugly-ass fight. Someone could get knocked out, though. Are you leaning a certain way? Uh, I was originally leaning Hamilton and putting him in pretty much every lineup I was making. Um,
2: But, man, you really can't rely on either one of these guys. I just figured him he'd be able to take it down, be the bigger guy, and maybe pound him out from there, and that would be a lot of DraftKings points. But the only problem is, I mean, he cost a lot of people money in his last fight, losing to a 205-pounder. So I don't know. I mean, do you save the money and just hope that he gets knocked out again? Because my, my only thing was uh, Spitz was very unimpressed with in his last fight. However, it was short notice. So maybe he's got these things turned around, and he's not going against any star, Hamilton's not to great. So, 8,800 on Hamilton or 7,400 on Spitz. Which way do you want to lean? I'm not sure yet, but I do think it is a GPP fight. Again, I'm staying away from this cash. You can't trust either one of these guys, but it could end early. So, that's what you want in GPP. So, I feel like you should target it either way. I'm leaning Hamilton right now, though. But, man, I keep I 2nd keep of myself on this one.
0: Yeah. So, out of the big favorites, I mean, you already know I love this kid, Gregor Gillespie. I mean takedown after takedown after takedown. The kid's got some hands, too. But another one that I was eyeing is uh, Justin Ledet. And I was actually kind of surprised that he's only minus 390. But at the same time, it is a heavyweight fight. Anything can happen. But when I watched his opponent on Dana White Tuesday Night Contender, he's very lucky to be in the position he's in. But what I'm trying to get at here, Kyle, is are those jabs of uh, Justin Ledet, are they high point scorers? Because that's what he's known for, man. He, he pops people's heads back with that jab. Yeah, but he's got one hell of
2: a jab.
0: Uh, actually, this morning, I was finding myself putting in
2: the other guy in my lineups just because he's so cheap, and I was trying to squeeze in those favorites, but I hadn't done any research on him at that point, so today I watched his uh, contender series fight, and I, I immediately took him out of my lineups. I, I just don't see how he's going to beat that. Look at that taller, and he uses that jab really well. I think he's just going to piece this guy up. The guy's coming in on short notice, so I can see him gassing. I don't think with that will. I'm thinking of with that finish. He's probably a good play and cash, and GBP, so I don't mind that at all if you're going to stay away from those
0: top three guys. So when it comes to betting MMA, I'm one of the best, but when it comes to playing DraftKings for MMA, I'm what you consider a jobber. Now. As a jobber in DraftKings, I think that this is a really hard card to play. That being said, does that mean that – is that where uh, the men meet the boys? You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I feel like the real DraftKings Sharks like yourself, like you guys are uh, champing at the bit for an opportunity like this when the rest of us squares are like, oh, this ain't a great card. What do you think, man? I mean, really the problem is with this Perry Alves fight, he's got
2: a replacement. He does. His um, name is
0: Alex Reyes. He's a 55er on a 13-fight win streak most likely going to take an L here
2: oh wow so yeah if DraftKings adds that in and it goes back to 11 fights then maybe it is one to target because most people won't do their homework on these kind of cards but if it stays at 10 fights on DraftKings it's, those are just so hard to win money on because there's so many duplicate lineups and tournaments so it's more of a cash game kind of card for me there's no huge contest this week, so I'm really not going to play too many lineups myself. I'm thinking maybe five lineups this week. <laughs> Kyle, uh, so, sorry, then, interrupt, sorry uh, to interrupt
0: you, bro. It's funny because when you said not too many lineups, I was like, what does that mean, like 50 to 75? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't usually go that heavy. I will
2: sometimes put in that many on like an $8 tournament when it's 25 k to first. Um, but yeah, on this, especially if DraftKings keeps it at 10 fights, I just can't invest too much uh on this card so i'm thinking uh, i'll go more heavy on cash than i will tournaments but yeah i would uh, i would go pretty light
0: on this one that's just my tip but man if you think you have an edge i think you got to go for it and speaking of edge is there you know you don't want to give away your uh your secret but is there someone flying under the radar someone i haven't mentioned that you think is gonna low-key win us some tournaments here uh, I don't know
2: if he's sliding under the radar, but I think it's the first person or one of those first people we mentioned, and that's Tony Martin, I think, I think he's going to be a good play. I was watching both of them today, um, and you got some DraftKings value there with him being $600 cheaper, and I, I know you like him to win this fight, so I think uh, he might have been flying under the radar until everyone listens to this podcast, but yeah, Tony Martin, I like up. one
0: a uh that's, uh that's the gift and the curse of half the battle, right?
2: All
0: right, exactly. <laughs> well, my man, it's been a pleasure as always. You know, it's funny because, you know, we bet this uh, Alex White minus 130, and then, you know, 10 minutes later it's minus 210. That's one of the reasons that I can never sell picks, man, because it's like, yeah, I put a lot at minus 130, but uh, if you buy this pick from me, now it's minus 210. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. At 210, I feel like it was still not a terrible bet. But, oh, man, I agree. If you got that much more of an edge than
2: the rest of them, it would be hard to sell that people.
0: But an 80 cents difference on, a, on what I played, right? Yeah, that's a sharp play. Nice job. So, Kyle, thank you again, brother. We're going to speak next week because UFC is back in Japan. Not only are they back in Japan, but OSB is fighting Shogun again. That's the rematch that no one expected to see. But you know what? I'm kind of looking forward to it, man. I want to know if the first fight was a fluke or not. So we're going to be tuning in for sure. Follow this man at Big Marley 3. Kyle, we're going to speak next week, man. Sounds good, man. Good luck this weekend. All right, brother. You too. Peace out. That's Big Marley killing it as usual, which he is known for. Now, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Pittsburgh?
1: I'm going to say Luke Sanders versus Felipe Arantes. I want to see if Luke taps the leg lock again. And I want to see how the stand-up exchanges go. And if Luke wins this fight, you know, he solidifies his spot as one of the top prospects at 135. And I mean, if Felipe... Wins this fight, there will be a huge win, a, a decent upset. And if he lost this fight, I mean, you got to consider him on the chopping block. So I'm really interested to see that one.
0: Yeah, my fight to watch is Tony Martin versus Olivier Aubin-Mercy. I mean, they lined this fight to pick up The winner of this fight is going to emerge as a top 20 lightweight and is going to go on to do really big things. And it's a massive setback for the guy that loses this fight. For that reason, that is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Pittsburgh?
1: Uh, Jason Sago. I mean, you know, I got that two-and-a-half unit play on him. At plus 140, I think he's going to get the job done. If he wins this fight, you know, he can go back in there fighting the guys on Rostam's level or uh, maybe not that high, but, you know, because I got a bet on him, uh, he's my fighter to watch. I want to see how that jiu-jitsu versus jiu-jitsu goes, and I want to see him let his hands go on this one.
0: I got two fighters to watch, Gregor Gillespie and Christoph Jocko. I know Gregor's a minus 430 favorite and this and that, but look, the kid's a special talent. We already mentioned the wrestling, wrestling with uh, Jordan Burroughs in the finals. I mean, what would you say, four-time All-American? I mean, the guy is absolutely ridiculous. He's also overcome a lot of adversity in his personal life, things that people don't know about. And his hand's gotten better every single fight, too. He's so smart how he sets everything up. And Jocko, man, I mean, look, he's coming off a devastating loss or loss that really derailed and when I say devastating I don't mean because it was a knockout it was actually a split decision I'm saying because it set him back so much a lot of us were saying this is the brightest prospect in the middleweight division now people are like who the fuck is that guy so people are sleeping on Jocko right now and I'm not one of those people so for that reason Jocko is your fighter to watch Gregor Gillespie as well now Shaq we did it man two weeks in a row about to keep killing i know next week there's a big opportunity we're going to be talking about that very soon <laughs> but uh man it's just good to have ufc back consistently
1: yeah man uh, i'm looking forward to the next cards as well you know i only got one play on this i actually want to play something else so i'm thinking about some other options but uh yeah. you know i'm looking forward to that kevin lee tony ferguson card you know uh i'm sure you guys know who i got in that one and uh I mean, I just see so many good opportunities in the future, man. Last week we had a good opportunity with Alex White, and there's just more
0: upcoming. You know, it's funny you say people know who you got. I actually think people don't know who you got or who I got in that one. And uh, Kevin Lee versus Tony Ferguson is going to be a great fight. I cannot wait to break that down. But we got to get past this weekend first because we got David Branch versus Luke Rockhold. I'm very excited about it. Follow this man at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Shaq and I will be back later next week to break down UFC Japan OSP versus Shogun 2. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.